Hello and welcome to Hop On Board, brought to you by Southeastern Railway. In each episode, you'll be taken on a whistle-stop tour of some of the best places to explore on the Southeastern Network, guiding you through everything these stunning regions have to offer, from impressive history and a vibrant art scene, to delicious food and drink and beautiful countryside walks. That's where I hop on board. Our first walk takes us from Margate to the gorgeous sandy beaches of Broadstairs, where we'll find some folk to tell us how much they enjoy exploring these parts. From there, we'll be catching a train to the quaint and charming village of Wye, with its famous river, where we'll go from lesser-spotted birds to celebrity pups. Stay tuned, all will be revealed. Now, I know stand-up comedians are really known for staying up way too late, drinking far too much, and I do do that as well. But when I'm not doing that, the thing I love most is walking. It's, uh, when, when life gets you down, when there's just too much going on and, and everything's distracting you and everything's grabbing your attention, it's, it's wonderful to just get out into the open and just concentrate on one thing, one foot going in front of the other, and just enjoy that journey. It's one of my favorite things to do in the world. And I've come here to Kent to do a bit more. What makes Kent and East Sussex so enticing to walkers is there's an enormous range of landscape on offer and everything's really nicely connected as well and easy to reach by train. There's great big green spaces, there's rolling hills of the Kent Downs and there's over 350 miles of coastline. Towering white cliffs, beautiful beaches and lovely winding coastal paths and and that's how I'm starting my exploration of Kent with some walking, and some sea air. I've come to Margate, one of England's oldest seaside resorts, and it's been welcoming visitors for literally hundreds of years. There are parts of the Kent coast that are so close to France, you can actually get invitations on your phone. It pings and keeps offering you French mobile networks. Right now, though, we're in the eastern bit of the county, what they call the Isle of Thanet, also referred to sometimes as Planet Thanet, because it's its own little world. It used to be an actual island before the channel between it and the mainland gradually sort of silted up. Here you'll find coastal towns like Margate, Ramsgate and Broadstairs, all close to train stations and plenty of chances to walk along the cliff tops between them and breathe some bracing sea air. Our, our first walk today, it, it starts in Margate and it goes all the way around the headland to Broadstairs. If you were to do it by car, you'd have the whole logistics of, you know, two, you'd have to come down, you'd have to park one end and then drive to the other end. A linear walk is great for a sense of walking with purpose, but it's hard, hard to organise. However, if you do it by train, get a train at Margate, walk the Broadstairs, get a train at Broadstairs. Handy. Well, let's get started. Let's, uh, let's get ourselves down to the sea. Thing about Margate, it's really gone very. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Trendy is not a very trendy word anymore. You're certainly not short of a second-hand furniture shop. Let me put it that way. There was a time that English seaside towns weren't very lively places. The budget airline boom really hit coastal resorts in England pretty hard. But because of dedicated efforts at regeneration, especially with a focus on art and culture, and to be fair, southeastern trains make it really easy to reach those places quickly from central London. 
that has all changed. Margate has flourished over the past 12 years or so. Plenty to do. Just from where I'm standing, you, you, you can see the uh, Dreamland Amusement Park, the Shell Grotto, Tom Thumb Theatre. I'm assuming that's small enough that even I can sell it out. There's the Hornby Museum. Yay, more trains. Right now I'm on the seafront outside the Turner Contemporary Art Gallery. Interesting fact about Turner. Apparently, uh, if the Turner Prize had been around when he was making art, he'd have been too old to win it. Interesting fact. The Contemporary Art Gallery, the, the, the Turner Art Gallery, has been key in, in driving the regeneration of the area and also showcasing many new and exciting artists. Turner spent many hours here painting his famous seascapes. And this is the starting point of the route we're going to walk. But before we set off into the bracing sea air, I'm just going to do a quick stop off at one of the other attractions I saw a sign for, the Margate Caves. Because I quite like a cave. You can probably hear that we've come inside now. Uh, and we're about to go not just inside, but down below into a cave. Because as you know, the, the white cliffs along the south coast are white because they're made of chalk. The chalk, quite useful stuff. So having dug it out, they've left behind caves. I'm going to talk to Sarah Vickering, who works here, and she's going to tell us a bit more about how this whole place came into being. I'm here with Sarah, Sarah Vickering. What are you, what's your role here, Sarah? Uh, I run the charity that runs the caves. Right. And would you like to show me the caves, I please? I very much. Yeah, let's, let's go. go. This, this is all just dug out for commercial use of the chalk. This was a chalk mine in the 1700s. Uh, the chalk was mined for construction. This would have built a lot of houses in Margate. So we come out of the tiny passage and we come into the really big vaulted caves. Wow, that's impressive. It's really surprising, isn't it? Yeah, it's also very cool down here, isn't it? It's a constant temperature. What is this, about 15 Ten, degrees? 10, 10 degrees. degrees, yeah. Regardless of whether we're in a heat wave or it's raining and grim, mm -hmm. it's the same down here. It's always 10 degrees it's down here. It's always 10 degrees. The only difference we have is at the back of the caves, we've got a, a well, and it's a tidal well. And when the sea's in, and it's a little bit misty outside, it does get a little bit misty in the caves as well. I'd say that's got, I'd say that's very atmospheric. It's, I mean, it's, yeah, it is, yeah. It's yeah. atmospheric anyway, you know, it's got a real Game of Thrones vibe in it. <laughs> vibe, but, uh, there's a lot of cave painting going on in here. There is a lot of cave this, painting this not, going this, on. This not all date back to the No, 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 no. The chalk mine was, was closed up and forgotten about, and a house was built on the front of the site. Mm -hmm. And there are various stories about how the caves were rediscovered. Right. The one I like the most, and that I think there is probably a grain of truth in, is that the chap who lived here kept rabbits. Okay. And uh, there was a pear tree in the back garden, and the rabbits kept disappearing down a hole at the base of the pear tree. Eventually, he got fed up with losing his rabbits, and so he got the gardener to investigate, and that's how they found the caves. That was in sort of 1862-63, that story was then syndicated up and down the country. That was in every local newspaper in the land. We found it in Aberdeen, we found it everywhere. And that was the time that Lewis Carroll was writing Alice in Wonderland. Okay. So I like to think that maybe a rabbit disappearing down a magical hole... Was the inspiration for Lewis Carroll. 
I love the fact that you preface that whole thing with, and there may be a grain of truth in this. That is an excellent way to start a story and absolves you from any responsibility for anything that comes out of your mouth after that. I am only continuing the long tradition of stories about this place. So when did it open as a tourist attraction? In the it opened as a 19th tour- century? Late 19th century. It's been open and closed, open and closed over the years as the kind of fortunes of Margate have fluctuated, basically. Yeah, well, now, I would like to explore that. So it has come and gone, the, the, the sort of yeah, the popularity it, of the town. It had peaks and troughs. Absolutely. Suffered a lot when package holidays came in mm-hmm. and, and it just wasn't the fashion to go to the British seaside anymore. So in the 80s and 90s, in the early 2000s, when I first came to Margate, it mm. was a little bit grim, right. particularly in the winter, when yeah, yeah. What, what there was left closed. Yeah. Um, and then we've seen a sort of, you know, a slow and steady regeneration over the last 20 years, I would say. What's been driving that? Investment. Yeah. Lots of European money invested in the town. And then two major projects, the first being Turner Contemporary, mm-hmm. which opened in 2011, and there was a complete sea change overnight. And then the next being Dreamland, our amusement park. Okay. We're so lucky that we've had two multi-million pound projects in the right. town in a really short period of time. And you've seen the, the benefits of that then? Here Absolutely. The well. So we've seen... Uh, We've seen visitors to Margate increase, you know, I mean, many, many tenfold. The visitor, you know, the dynamic of visitors has changed. We get a different kind of visitor now. We still get our traditional families because we've still got a fantastic beach. Mm -hmm. We've still got great walking around the coast. We've still got a great cycling trail. But we've also got lots of cultural tourists now. And they love the caves, of course, because um, it's quirky. There's some art down here. But it's a really interesting place to experience what lies underneath all our feet. How, how easy is it to walk direct from here to the train station? It's a really nice walk from the train station. You come around the bay, you come through the old town, and then we're just past the old town. So it's maybe a 20-minute walk, but it's a lovely walk. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of walking, we didn't come here to just stare at cave paintings. We're going to get on the trail. Thanks very much for showing us oh, around, I appreciate it. I've come to about halfway round the Thanet Coastal Path from Margate to Broadstairs, In its full length, it's a 20-mile route around the coast of the Isle of Thanet, and it's the longest stretch of chalk coastline in the country. It means that you get amazing views across the top of the cliffs and their sheer white drops. It's breezy, as you can probably hear, but looking out over the sea, it's breathtaking. In fact, the Kent Heritage Coast was listed by the Lonely Planet Guide as number four in its top ten regions in the world to visit in 2022. Number four in the world. Pretty impressive. I'm at Botany Bay, which is a very suitable name because one of the most wonderful things about walking in Kent is the variety of flora and fauna you come across. Just down the coast from here is the Sandwich and Pegwell Bay Nature Reserve, which is a world-class wetland where literally hundreds of species of migrating birds spend the winter. And as you walk all along this coast, you'll see birds all year round, you see wildflowers, butterflies in summer, And you'll even see grazing highland cattle and conic horses. A conic horse is a Polish breed of pony. But you knew that already. I love walking. It's very much my thing. But I have to admit, I'm pretty ignorant about this area. I don't know a great deal about the walking along this coast. However, I have arranged to meet up with some local ramblers to get some inside knowledge. So, lads, what's unique about 
this area when it comes to walking? It's really, really, really special in so far as that I think we're possibly the luckiest county in England in that we've got a railway station going to every single town. And the lovely thing about our walks, for instance, I know we're on the coast, but we have a number of pilgrimage walks. And for a wannabe pilgrim, mm. it means that you can do something. A favourite walk for me is from here to Canterbury, but you've got a station every six miles. Mm -hmm. So that essentially, if you want to start and you're a bit frightened of taking on those great big, big walks, you, we, can, we, we, we can get from A to B, as I say, to have the transport coverage, but also to have, we have sea, we have green country, we have the wheel, we've got so much here. Mm -hmm. I come from Ireland, but yes. I would prefer to be here than anywhere. Well, um, Ireland does have beautiful scenery, but the access in Ireland compared to the access in, in the UK is, is incredible. The right to roam that, that we have here compared to most other countries in Europe is... And that's a lot of... That's down to the Ramblers to a great extent, isn't it? It's interesting that one of Rambler's key objectives is about protecting the footpaths, protecting the countryside that we all live in. And the third one is putting on group walks for people, encouraging people to get outside and enjoy that. Do you feel if, if you're crocked or something like that, or for whatever reason you can't get out and walk, do you get a, a genuine need? Do you miss it if you don't do it? Absolutely, yes, yeah. You know, we, we have a, normally have a walk on a Sunday mm -hmm. and everybody loves to get together and it's just something, you know, that really, really helps. <laughs> uh, so we, we, then, we go on the walk, we have good exercise, we have good conversation, we then come back to the pub have a drink, mm. have lunch. That's pretty much everything that matters in life. And all if all get, in one go. And if you get in the train, you yeah. can have another drink. Absolutely. And another one. <laughs> <laughs> Would it be Don't overstating it to say that walking has given you a new lease on life? Absolutely not. I mean, I came from a highly stressful job in London. Really, I live life on a branch line, rocked up on a train. <laughs> I never, ever want to go back. Also, I think probably doing something really useful, like keeping our footpaths clear, has, has, has changed my world. I love it. Walking along this stretch here, what, uh, what should we be looking out for today? Smugglers. Yeah. I brought you a poem. Oh. I really did. It's far too long to read on here, but you've got to remember that you're... This... You're being heckled by gulls right now. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing about it is, is that if you think of where we are, we're near Broadstairs. Mm. We've got the whole of the English Channel funneling up one way. Mm. We've got the whole of the North Sea funneling down the other. And the whole of the world's trade has come through this corridor. And it used to be that if a ship actually reached the city of London with about a third of its cargo on board, it was doing quite well. Right. Because the other two thirds ended up in caves underneath where you're sitting. Mm -hmm. So this is this is Adventure Coast. That doesn't sound like smuggling, that sounds like piracy, what you're talking yeah. about there. <laughs> if you want to get the kids into walking, and yourselves as well, put them on the beach, they could do a bit of rock pooling, and they don't even know you're walking. I mean, it's, it's good. So I think you can, you can find shark's teeth as well, uh, down in Bel Beltinge, sort of, oh, uh, yes, Hern they, Bay. Sea glass, is that a thing? My kids are right into collecting sea glass when we go on coastal walks. Well, the works all warm? Yeah. Oh, all, yeah. The, all, yeah. The, all the people who make greeting cards come here. Ramsgate Sands is the best place for sea glass, just as a by-the-by. Right. Oh. <laughs> and what about the weather? How does that affect your habit? Do you, are you, are you fair weather or are you rain or shine? It's a, rain or it's shine. a Billy Connolly moment. There's yeah. no such thing as bad weather, just wrong clothes. Yeah. Okay. Well, the weather's clearing actually now. It, it was looking a bit stormy before. So should we take a, should we take a little stroll? Yeah, let's do that. This part of the Thanet Coastal Path from Margate to Broadstairs ends, you won't be surprised to learn, 
in Broadstairs. And you come down onto the harbour front and it is spectacular. The sea looks amazing. The sky is actually very dramatic now. We have beautiful patches of blue as well as rolling darker patches. There's, for people who enjoy such things, and I personally do, nerd that I am, but the, uh, the coastal wind farm is quite a sight to see as well. For those of us who are into our renewables, I, 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 I love the sight of a, of a coastal wind farm. And then you look inward into the, there's a, there's a beautiful bay here with lovely beach huts, painted yellow and blue. And above that, the chalk cliffs. And above that, the town of Broadstairs, which, which, which is a beautiful seaside town. It's got loads of things to do. It has no fewer than seven, seven beaches. And, and again, proper beaches, wide, sandy beaches, bring your bucket and spade type beaches. It has a folk festival in the summer. It has a blues festival in the winter. And you can see why it was Charles Dickens' favorite holiday spot. He, he wrote some of his most famous works right here, including finding the inspiration for those pesky donkeys and David Copperfield, and writing in a house that was said to be his inspiration for Bleak House, although I don't know if that's a great advert for anywhere, you know, the house that inspired Bleak House. You can actually find out more about it uh, at the Dickens House Museum, or, or you can even come down by train for the annual Dickens Festival that they have in June. Well, anyway, all this sea air is making me keen for a bit of lunch, so I'm gonna go and find a sandwich and a cup of coffee because then I have a train to catch. I've left Broadstairs and I'm on my way to Wye, which has a nice ring to it. If Kent is the Garden of England, then this train journey takes us right through the flower beds. We're traveling across the Kent Downs, which are officially designated as an area of outstanding natural beauty. Lovely names to conjure with in these villages. Chartum, Chillum, Sturry. I like how that name feels in my mouth, Sturry. And it's great, it runs along next to the, the, the River Stour. There's marinas, allotments, school playing fields, little chocolate box houses, old windmills. I mean, it's just a grab bag of old England, really, isn't it? As well as nature reserves, marshes, beautiful. It's a great place for walking. The North Downs Way is a national trail which starts in Hampshire and winds through Surrey and Sussex and then over the Kent Downs. 153 miles of glorious countryside. There's eight castles, three cathedrals, three archbishops' palaces, loads of stately homes, chocolate box villages, all ridiculously close from central London by train. So here's an interesting fact. The Sunday Times readers once voted why the third best place to live in the UK. And it's easy to see why. <laughs> you, you see what I did there, yeah. No, but it is easy to see its appeal once you're here. You come out of the station, you turn left, the first thing you come to is an ancient stone bridge that, that dates back to the 17th century. Crossing over the River Stour, you look at upstream, there's a massive weeping willow, there's swans swimming on the river. You look downstream, there's water rushing over the weir. It's, it's, it's proper British idyllic village life. But it's not just the village itself that's appealing, it's where it's situated. It's, it's surrounded by uh, rolling hills, ancient woodland. It's very much a, an agricultural area. Farming is the, is the sort of heart of the community. It's, a, it's got a farmer's market. There's, there's a lot of lovely open space, but not all of that open space is given over to farming. In fact, there's actually a very large nature reserve. And uh, that, that's my next stop. I mentioned ancient woodland. Why nature reserve has 
a lot of trees, a lot of trees, mainly hazel trees that were planted in the 17th century as a, a food source uh, for the locals. And of course, where you have woodland, you have the fauna part of flora and fauna because the woodland provides habitat for all kinds of things to live, particularly birds. There's uh, an enormous variety of birds in the Kent Downs, the uh, common ones, also the less common ones like the hawfinch, lesser spotted woodpecker and, and the nightingale. I love the idea of bird watching. One thing I am terrible on, though, is uh, remembering the names and knowing how to recognise them. Uh, but that's where Nadim comes in. Nadim Pereira, how are you, sir? I'm very well, man. Nice you, to meet you. You, are, you are one of the founders of Flock Together. That's am correct. I right? Tell us a bit about what Flock Together does so, and what it is. So Flock Together is a bird watching club that is focused on getting people of colour into the outdoors. Um, but we are also focused now on getting youth, under-supported youth um, of any background out into nature, getting them to feel confident and engage with the space. And we're also about bringing a new source of creativity to solve the problems that nature currently faces. Oh, well, that is a, that's a, that's a, that's a, there's, there's noble aims right there. There we go, there we go. Have you been down here before? I have never been down here before. The closest I've been to uh, is Dover. Right. So I, 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 I got the train down to Dover many, many times a few years ago. Um, and the bird life is just amazing. Uh, so I know Kent pretty well in, in, in that limited space. Um, and I know there are lots of peregrines around. So hopefully we can find, find something today. We'll be exploring this place together then, essentially. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And I'll teach you how to ID a few basic birds. Uh, what have you got for me here? So I have got a pair of binoculars for you. Because oh, that's quite, quite essential for birding. Well, not essential, actually. You can just go out and enjoy what you see. But uh, for more enthusiastic birders such as myself, a pair of binoculars goes pretty good. See. Have you ever been birding before? Yes, I went out birding with Gordon Buchanan for a TV show a few years ago. That was very educational. But it's great, because I've already forgotten everything he told me. <laughs> so you can just fill me up again. Amazing, anew. amazing. I will do. So we have a choice. We can head over into the sort of moorland bit here, or we can head over into the woods. Um, what do you suggest? Well, I reckon we've got quite a bit of wind, um, and the birdies don't like wind, so we might be better trying to catch them in some, some shrubbery. All right, let's head in. And what are we hoping we'll see today? Oh, we're hoping, well, by the looks of the landscape, I'm guessing we'll see some stone chat, probably. Uh, maybe see a kestrel hovering over the open fields and we might well see some goldfinch because I see some hawthorn bushes over there as well. So fingers crossed. And is there stuff that's specific to Kent? Is there stuff that you would see in Kent that you would have far less chance of seeing elsewhere? Um, so yeah, definitely. So especially Dover along the coast, that's quite a good migration stop off um, for a lot of the birds. So one, one memory I have, um, I was walking uh, along, along the trail, the White Cliff Trail, and I saw this bird on the floor, on its own, totally on its own. And I was like, whoa, what's that? Never seen it before. Checked, its, uh, checked it out in my book. I did have a book with me on that day. Um, and it turned out to be a red-backed shrike. Okay. So it's, it's uh, an African species, also found in like Portugal, uh, Spain, and everything like that, but stops over here just on that little bit of coast in the summer. That's the only place it can be found. Um, and maybe few other patches, but mainly there. So Nadine, what advice would you give to somebody who fancied getting into bird watching and has not a clue? Um, just go outside, literally go outside, you know, and, you, and see how easy it is to become in tune with what's going on around you in terms of wildlife. 
So even if you live on a, in, a, in a city, even if there's a bush or a tree, so we've got a dunnock in there. So can you see, it's a little, oh, it's a robin. National bird of Britain, as voted for by the public. Gardener's friend. There you go. Do you know why they're the gar gardener's friend? Well, I like to think it's because they're sociable, but it's just they reckon you're going to dig up worms, I suppose. Yeah, but yeah so, so evolutionarily, evolutionarily speaking, they used to follow pigs around as pigs dug for mushrooms and oh, right. fungus. Yeah, so they think that any big mammal is a pig offering them insects as a byproduct of finding mushrooms. Did you get a glimpse of it, Ed? I did. I wouldn't have been able to identify it as a robin. Cool, cool, good. At least we, it's a start. It's a start. And we did hear a nuthatch calling over there. So let's try and try and find that as well. I mean, you could just be winding me up, though. No, That's I mean, everyone says that, that, but oh, that looks like a great <laughs> I don't think I'd be where, yeah. where I am if I did. That's definitely not that. a blue tip. <laughs> so it, it, was, it was big, right? So yeah. it's, it's, it's a great tip, definitely. And could you tell from the shape or from the, the, the flight pattern? So I always, say this, I always say this to people. It's, it's, a bit, it's a bit of everything. I always say if you can recognize different football shirts, you can recognize different birds, right? Right. The silhouettes are all basically the same, but there yeah. are small touches that give it away, right? All right yeah. So it's, it's quite similar. So we've come out of the woods now and we're walking next to the woodland. And so on one side of us, to, our, to my right, it's uh, broadleaf deciduous trees. And so to my left, we've got a kind of a scrub area, as it were, yeah, and, yeah. and a moorland. And we've got a fence post. And on the fence post over there, you've got a female stone chat just sat on top of it. I can see that, yeah. Go. Again, I just, how could you tell that was a stone chat? <laughs> so it's got like a pale orange breast and a darker brown uh, upper body. Um, and the male has a more pronounced black on its head. But again, it's about behavior, right? So any bird sitting on that fence post at this time of year uh -huh. is probably gonna be a stone chat or a wheat ear. Okay. It's off. Yeah, and it's just going to another fence post. Um, and the wheat ear has a clear black mark on its face, which this doesn't have. So you can, by deduction, you can pretty much tell that's a stone chat, even without zooming in on it, just by its behavior. Right, which makes you look really impressive then, because <laughs> it looks like you've got amazing eyes, and actually it's like, that's yeah. the only bird that would be sitting there. Yeah, exactly, the exactly. Okay. And it's the first one I said we'd see, because I said- I You did say? The, I saw the fence post. Now, is stone chat, is that migratory, or is that- No, they'll be here native. year round. They'll be here year round. What might happen is the ones that live further up north might migrate south of the UK, mm -hmm. back further up north of the UK, might yep. move a bit further down, um, but generally they'll stay here. Well, that was fantastic. And a massive thank you to Nadim for teaching us more about birds than I thought I'd ever know. And please check out the wonderful Flock Together Collective, who are doing great work in changing perceptions and creating communities in the UK. See, that's another great thing about walking. It's that you never know who you'll end up meeting along the way. And people walking their dogs know that better than anyone. Here come a couple of dog walkers now with a couple of dogs that look like they're used to the spotlight. I'm sure I recognize that as Puggy Smalls. And is that yum yum? There are those people who reckon a walk really isn't a walk unless you've got a dog in tow. Some people wonder what the point is of walking without a dog. It's like tea without a biscuit. There are a lot of dog walkers around here. I'm starting to feel like I should have brought a dog. Like I feel like I should have borrowed a dog from somebody. I feel like I've I've shown up at a fancy dress party and I'm not in fancy dress. Everybody's got dogs. Who are these? This is Puggy Smalls. Yeah. What's your name, sir? I'm Nick. Nick, you're Nick. How are you doing? <laughs> hey, man. Hello, love. I'm Charlie. All right, Charlie. I'm Ed. Hello, Ed. Well, aren't you? So, 
it sounds like I'm chatting you up. Do you come here often? <laughs> we <laughs> is, this are. Of, is this a regular route where you'd walk them? Yeah, we have. Well, we've been here before. It's not necessarily regular, but um, we live over in Cranbrook. Right. Um, but we're here, there, and everywhere with the dogs. Kent's a great place to go walking with the dog, isn't it? Yeah. Right. A good the few pubs, all dog friendly, and if yeah. not, the garden's always friendly. Do you know what? I don't have a dog. No. But you do look like you're missing I don't a dog. have a dog. But when I'm looking for a pub, one of the things I look for, uh, real ale is number one, but if I can't find one, number two is dog friendly. Yeah. Even though Absolutely. I don't have a dog, because I find that dog friendly pubs just tend to be nice yeah. pubs. And I mean, it's, it's rare there's a pub in Kent that isn't dog friendly, and even if they're not, you can sit outdoors with your dog and, and it's fine. Now, you guys aren't just any old dog walkers, and these aren't just any old dogs, are they? No. No, no you're not tell, so. us, tell us the story of, the, of, of, of Puggy Small's rise to fame. Nick? So I was a, a man and his, and his dog, um, and he bought me lots of joy, as you can imagine any, mm. any pet owner they do. And I worked in an office where Puggy got to come with me, um, and he actually fit in the, the big filing cabinet drawer at the bottom that had right. no files in it because I didn't do my job correctly. <laughs> Anyway, I popped him in it for a... Computerised uh, everything yeah, yeah, and no longer had any need for them. He was ahead. It was a great dog bed when left open. Anyway, I closed it and opened it up again on camera and made a little silly meme on Facebook of how to de-stress at work. And then um, <laughs> uh, over a few hours, millions of views started coming in. And then I thought, hang on, I'm on something here. The joy Puggy's bringing me is actually going on across the world. I don't want to make myself sound like I'm incredibly suggestible, but you made mention earlier of dog-friendly pubs, and you've put the idea in my head. Does anybody fancy a pint? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, always thirsty. Have you heard of the tickled trout? Do you, have you been there? I understand yes. it's dog-friendly. We haven't actually been, but our postman recommended it. Your so postman recommended it? Our postman has recommended it. I don't think there's trout. a higher recommendation. That is proper local knowledge, that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's do it then. Let's go. Come on then, boys. Two pints of the IPA, the beer. That's over there, yeah. And some bowls of water for the dogs. Lovely, just coming for you. Excellent. One of my favourite things about going for a walk is visiting a local pub and uh, having a pint post-walk. I gotta say, there's uh, there's nice pubs and there's nice pubs. We're at the Tickled Trout right now, which is right on the banks of the River Stour, and it's a beautiful, beautiful spot. Apparently, there's been a pub here on this site for over 400 years. But this one has, is just loaded with old world charm. There's local food, there's local beer on tap, including Shepherd Neem beer, which you can find out more about in the Greg Wallace episode on food and drink in this very series. Well, the sun's starting to set, and uh, I think it's time I headed off home. Uh, I think I might have one more pint, and then we're gonna we'll catch another train. And that brings us to the end of my ramble around some of Kent's popular walks. And, for that matter, the end of this episode of Hop On Board. If you like what you've heard, spread the word. Give us a like and subscribe. And if you're eager to keep exploring, why not check out the rest of the series and discover more of what Kent and East Sussex has to offer just by jumping on a southeastern train. But for now, it's time for me to disembark. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.